Kevin, get upstairs right now. Why? Kevin, you're such a disease. Shut up. Kevin, upstairs. Say goodnight, Kevin. Goodnight, Kevin. Anybody else relate to Kevin at all in that video clip? Or is that your childhood? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're talking this weekend about sibling robberies. I know that's an old school clip, but, but that's, a, that's a great movie. I don't, I don't care what you say. It's a great movie. And so uh, it was one of, the, one, of, one of my favorite clips. And, and as we talk about that, I want you to take your Bible, if you haven't, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. So we continue in this series called uh, My Awkward Family. And uh, as, we're, as, we're, as we're exploring this, we're picking up on this from where we were last week. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of background in just a second. But I wanted you to think just for a second. How many of you were raised with brothers and sisters? You had a brother or a sister? Raise your, okay, yeah. All right, everybody, put your hands back down. Let's we'll make sure you're telling the truth here. How many of you ever had a fight with your brother and your sister? Yeah, yeah. How many of you would ever say you got really competitive, mad? Something. Oh, the rest of your line. Come on, I know it, right? Because the reality is, is you put, you put two kids together and they're going to have a certain amount of just friction that's going to happen. I have a younger brother. My mother said, he's two years younger than me, that we, we fought and wrestled constantly. She said, I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown uh, as trying to raise you boys because we, we, the house that we grew up in had wood floors and so you could just hear it rumble and we would just rumble and tumble and literally just, uh, you know, broken arms, 
uh, I have broken probably five bones in this hand, this arm, this arm. Uh, oh my goodness. Um, we've been in and out of the ER, my brother, uh, and, and black eyes and fights. And we would get in stuff at school. And then my brother would, would get in trouble and then tell the kids that I was going to beat them up. And then tell them where we were supposed to meet after school to beat them up for the fight. Unbeknownst to me, it's on our way home from school, and so I had to learn how to be really quick, fast talker or fast runner. So because I was a little bit of husky as a kid, I, I was a better talker than a runner, right? That's why I'm here today. So, you know, and, and we would get into it. And, and I remember thinking back, we would always do things like we would call things. It doesn't make any sense to you. Uh, we would call, like as soon as you walked out of the front door of the house, you would say things like, I'm going to get to sit beside the side door in the front seat. That was before, like, we didn't wear seatbelts back then, right? Big white Ford Torino. I'm going to sit side by side door in the front seat. I called it first. Called it. Got it. You, and the rule is you had to be the first one out the door through the threshold door before you could call it. And then you get home, you call it. That's my seat. I'm calling it. That's my seat right there, right? Anybody else did this? I call it. And you learned that if you want what you wanted, you called what you didn't want, right? So if you wanted to sit in the front, you guys, I'm sitting in the back seat. No, I'm in the back seat. I called the back seat first. I call, I, you missed it. Okay, I'll sit in the front seat if you want me to, right? You got smart. That, I used to also, with my little brother, I would give him, I would trade him dimes for nickels because he thought nickels were worth more because they were bigger. <laughs> Till my dad found out. Woo! Lit me up like a Christmas tree. Uh, you know, you would just call everything and, and, and would, 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 would fight TV, remote control, uh, 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 anything, Atari. You know, I, it's my turn. No, it's your turn. No, it's my turn. You know, that, you do all kinds, just anything. Mom, he did it. Mom, no, he did it. You know, and my dad's rule was I'm going to whip both of you. That way I get the right one. There was some psychology in that because that got really tough because if we were both getting spanked, then we weren't going to call each other out. It's your fault, man. You got me in trouble this time. I can't believe you. Come on. Man, you know what I'm saying? And so anyhow, so we, we just, that was it. I love my brother, and nobody was going to beat up my brother but me. You understand what I'm saying? But I was going to beat him up, right? Make no mistake. And that just that whole deal. Well, it's one thing as a child, especially boys, they like to do that. But as you get older, something happens. And if you're not careful, what becomes natural, even, even competition that's natural, and sometimes even healthy, can become, you know, it can become dangerous. Um, in the case of, uh, w- w- when you look at the life of Joseph and his brothers, there was such enmity and sibling rivalry between Joseph and his brothers and uh, his older brothers because they had two different moms. Because uh, the, the one mother had died and, and there were two different moms and, 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 and Joseph's father loved him more than the elder brothers felt and, so, and, and showed favoritism towards him. So, so that rivalry turned into a dangerous situation where they sold Joseph into slavery. And then they go back because they really didn't want him to be hurt. They go back and they find out that it's too late. Uh, you know, it, it can go from being dangerous to being divisive like Jacob and Esau. Jacob, the younger brother, has such competition with his older brother, and his older brother has a favor of his father, and the younger brother has a favor of the mother, and the two of them are in such a tumultuous relationship that when Jacob basically steals Esau's birthright, he leaves town never to return again. And only in a conflict where Jacob has no other choice does he reconcile with his brother and sees his brother. Uh, Or it can even become deadly in the case of Cain and Abel. I mean, their Bible's filled full of sibling rivalries where they both offer their sacrifices to God. 
but one brother kills the other brother because one sacrifice was accepted and the other one wasn't. Sibling rivalry is a serious, serious thing. And the Bible kind of deals with it in this, in a unique way, I think, and kind of gives us some insight in this in Luke's Gospel chapter 15. Now, we started last week and we began to talk about this parable of the prodigal son. And, and, and basically, a parable is a story with a meaning, and Jesus spoke most of the time this way. And, and in this parable, there's a father with two sons, and the younger son wants his inheritance. So he goes to the father and says, hey, I'd like to have my inheritance, and so great, I'll give you your inheritance. And the Bible says the younger son leaves the house and goes and squanders his wealth and wild living till he comes to the end of himself. And the older brother stays at home, working in the family business. And the younger brother comes to the end of himself, comes back, finds the father, and reconciles with the father. And the father then says, now let's throw a party. My son who was dead is now alive. Who was lost is now found. And we pick that story up, that parable up, in verse 25, as the older brother begins to hear the, ce- the celebration, the rumblings of the celebration. Will you read this with me? And meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He's working. Everybody else is partying. This isn't a good scenario. Don't be too sanctimonious about this. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. Verse 26, so he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? Verse 27, I love, the servant is completely oblivious to this. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf. Now that's a big hairy deal, okay? And this is like the biggest, best party he could throw. And because he's back safe and sound. So, when you know what the elder brother thinks? Read verse 28. He becomes angry and refuses to go in. Into what? Into the party, into the celebration. So the father goes out and he pleads with him. But here's how he answered the father. Look, all these years I have been slaving for you. And I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. See all those personal pronouns? Verse 30, but when this son of yours, he totally distanced himself. This isn't my brother, this is your son. I don't act like this. Look what he says. Has squandered your property with prostitutes. So gone and lived and took taken your money and spent it the way you would never spend your money, father. He comes home, you're going to kill the fatted calf for him? Like, are you stinking kidding me? That's what he's saying there. Verse 31, my son the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. That's interesting. We'll come back to that in a minute. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, notice now he connects him back to him. This isn't my son. This is your brother. Who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Boom, the story's over. We don't know if the older brother ever goes in or stays out. We don't know if the older brother ever reconciles with the younger brother or not. We don't know anything else. All we know is the father had the last word and the story ends. Now, again, a parable is a story with a meaning. And the, and the father in this story represents God. And there's two sons. The younger son is basically, for lack of a better term, he's the sinner. He's the one who was lost. He's the one who left. He's the one who, who went his own way. He's the one that did his own thing. And in and, 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 and insider-outsider language, according to this parable, he'd be considered the outsider. Then you have the other son, the older brother, who stayed. 
who would be considered the saint. And this, I'm going somewhere with this, and so was Jesus. Because a parable always has a meaning. And he stays. And in staying, he, he's the insider. He's the one that never left. He's the one that worked hard. He's the one that did it right. And when the outsider, the lost, comes back home and, and, and confronts the insider, all hell breaks loose. And there becomes this division. And Jesus now is speaking. He, he, this, you have to back up on this whole chapter and realize he's talking about three lost things. The lost coin. He does the parable of the lost coin. Then he does the parable of the lost sheep. So the coin is something that you have, that you own, that you possess. That the sheep is a livelihood issue. And then he talks about the lost son. That's flesh and blood. And in all of these, he talks about how the owner of which, which would be God, would search, would look, would find and would bring in and would redeem. It's all the story of redemption. It's finding the coin, it's redeemed. It's finding the sheep, it's redeemed. It's finding the son, it's redeemed. It's, it's, it's having the place of the coin. It's leaving the 99 in order to, to look for the one. It's, it's this whole story of the father, not that he didn't love the son that was in the home, but that his heart was breaking for his other son who was lost. And it gives us a picture here of what God's heart is about the world. It gives us a, here a picture of how God views us that are inside and God views those that are outside. It, it really, it kind of gives a story behind John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish to have everlasting life. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. It gives us whole heartbeat of God thing, okay? And a lot of times we read it that way, and that's true, but... There are three conflicts that are going on here. There are three relationships that are going on here. First relationship you have is with the father with the younger lost son. And we talked a lot about that last weekend. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go online. You can download it. You can get the MP3. You can watch the video online. Uh, I would encourage you to, if you don't have a computer, to see somebody at guest services, and we'll just give you a CD of, of the message. And, and, but it also talks, the second conflict or relationship is that with the father and the older son which we're going to kind of deal with today. But I really want to hone in on these two brothers and the conflict and the background that they have, this sibling rivalry that goes on. Because although we don't see it going fist to cuffs, we understand there is a deep-seated issue between these two, these two young men. And, um, and so that's what we're going to look at today. Now, the Bible gives us like three stages, verse 28, verse 30, verse, verse 29, in succession. It shows us these stages of, of sibling rivalry. I want to talk to you about that. These are the stages of sibling rivalry. This is how this happens. So whether you have a, a child, whether you are parenting children, plural, or, or, or you know, even you can apply this to insider, outsider language as far as the church. And I hate to use words like that, but I think that's, that's the only way I know how to describe it. Because, because Jesus basically is shaming the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious people, for their distance and for their, their uh, look downing on, their, their demise of, of people that are far away from God. And, and so he deals with this conflict. And so th- this, this, this parlays to any kind of relationship. Uh, friend to friend, um, inside the church, outside the church, or between two siblings. So, so the, sta- the first stage that we see here is in verse 28. It begins with a critical spirit. Sibling rivalry, any kind of a robbery or competition, always begins with a critical spirit. Judgment. Listen to verse 28 again. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father pleaded with him. What was he angry about? He was judging his younger brother. He was, he, he was like, he was thinking about this. This was a process. I've been out in this field working all day. I've been working on this farm. I've been working in the family business. I've been doing all of this stuff. And we see later what's going on inside of his mind. And the younger son comes back home. And he gets all of this. 
Let me rewind the tape here. I mean, let, let, me, let me get this back. Let me understand this. He is the one that asked for the inheritance. I would never do that. Because the Bible said the younger one asked. And I got mine, but I would never ask for it. Right? And then he's the one that leaves, and he squanders it. Which means he never hears the confession of the younger brother to the, to the father. It means that there was probably rumors. Right? Adele, rumor has it. I mean, there were probably rumors going on that he was living like this and that this was happening in a distant land. And there were probably people that were coming to the house and going, hey, you know, Fred, I'm just concerned about your boy. I heard he was in Vegas and it's really bad and, and he's, got a, he's got a gambling debt up to this point and I've heard he's been with all these women and prostitutes and the parties and the things. And have you read the tabloids? I mean, you know, he's there with Prince Harry. And I mean, it's probably that kind of crazy stuff, right? Okay, I mean, let's put it in 21, 21st century context. And then a lot of people, they're just nosy coming by to find out what's going on with Fred's boy and, and see what's happening. And the older brother hears all of this. And he's made a judgment call along the way that, that, that he begins to become critical of this younger brother. Now, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't understand anything. He, he, he just, he has his perspective and, and he begins to do this. And the danger here is that when you develop a critical spirit, or I, any of us, what happens is we begin to judge. And when we begin to judge people, this is human nature, but it's the, it's the, the, the dark side of human nature. It's, it's, we, see, understand this. We're made in the image and likeness of God. And God himself, and, and part of who he is, is being a just God, is a judge. So that's a thing called discernment. But discernment gone awry is judgment. And you and I were never intended to be judges. We were intended to use that God-given likeness to discern right from wrong and good and evil and to do the right thing. We were never here created to judge other mankind. That's not our role or our God-given gift. Now, and I'm not talking about law, and I'm not talking about, you know, Judge Wapner and Judge Judy and all your favorite. I'm not talking about the Supreme Court. I'm not talking about judicial systems. I'm just talking about human to human person to person, man to man. We're never intended to do this. And so what happens is he begins to judge. And when we begin to judge, we never judge people from our, on our basis of our weakness. We always judge people from our point of strength. If you are fat and I am skinny, I look at you and go, how did you let yourself get that way? Why? Because I have a metabolism that I, everything you can tell I don't, everything that I eat, I just metabolize so quickly. And so I make a judgment on you because I don't deal with that problem. If I don't smoke and you do and you're addicted to nicotine, I look at you and go, how can you do that? Why don't you just stop it? Well, the same reason why you can't stop going to the buffet because you're addicted to whatever. Do you understand what I'm saying? We never judge people from the point of our own weakness. We always judge people from the point of our strength. And so if I'm good at something, I have a really good, I have a real high tendency of judging people that aren't good at that. If I am poor at something, I never judge somebody else that's poor at the same thing. It happens all the time. I mean, we, we do this in church. Well, I would never say that. No, but you would do this. I would never watch that. No, but you would watch this. I, 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 I would never watch pornography. No, but you'll read Shades of Grey. What's the difference? One's left to your imagination, and the other one's there in, in, in 1080 HD. It's the same stuff. And so what happens is, is we begin to judge people, and that's the first step in this rivalry is a critical spirit. The second thing he goes on, to, that, 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 that sibling rivalry, it leads to comparison. It leads to comparison. Verse 30. Verse 30, it, it says that, But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Now, this may be, comparison may be natural, but so is anger. 
And anger unchecked is disruptive. It's disastrous. And the danger of comparison, when you're talking about comparing, is after you become critical, you begin to compare yourself. And it's not the fact that you're comparing abilities or strengths or weaknesses. It's what you're comparing it to. See, the Bible says as Christ followers, we are to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. Why? Because when I compare myself to Christ, I always come up short. It produces humility. It kills pride. It takes away self-seeking ambition. But when I compare myself to you, I may beat you. I may be faster than you. I may be holier than you. Then what, what does that do if I'm holier than you? Or I'm faster than you or I'm better than you? It creates this amount of, hey, I'm all right. I'm okay. Pride, and then what happens? Pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Every time I begin to think I'm okay, I don't stink. I don't smell. I'm not like. I'm better off than. I used to be. We begin to excuse our behavior. And it's a slippery slope and we find ourselves right back in the same place that, we're, that, that, that we came from. And so there's this comparison thing that goes on. So sibling rivalry, it begins with critical spirit, it leads to comparison, and then it results in entitlement. Verse 29, it results in entitlement. He uses all these personal pronouns. Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you, and you never disobeyed your, and I never disobeyed your orders, just you, you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. I, me, and my. That's the language of entitlement. And it, the whole mantra here is that that's not fair. Did you ever say that as a kid? That's not fair. Like I had a younger brother. And because I got to do things, my parents realized that I wasn't going to die. They let my brother do it sooner. You know what I'm saying? Like I get to stay up later first. And then he got to stay up later. So when I was in, and he was in the sixth grade, he got to stay up later than when I got to stay up. And I'd say, that's not fair. I had to wait. I was in the seventh grade where I got to stay up till nine o'clock. That's not fair. Right? That's not fair. He gets to get that. And, and you know, because, I mean, I remember it was, um, I was in the third grade when Nikes came out. And they were 30 bucks. Don't you wish you could buy a pair of Nikes for $30 now? And they were leather shoes. And I got some the same time my brother did. And it was like, that's not fair. I had to be in the third grade before I got some. I mean, it was that. It was constantly. That's not fair. That's not fair. And, and the reality is, is that life's not fair. Life's not been fair since the garden. Life quit being fair in the garden. Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, fairness went out when sin came in. And life hasn't been fair since then, and it won't be fair until God comes back and redeems his earth. So this ideology of fairness is a humanistic point of view that just says, ah, it's not fair, it's not fair. Did you ever do that with your brother or your sister? It's not fair. You ever kids ever do that? It's not fair. Life's not fair. You know, go to Lowe's and get a ladder and get over it. I mean, it's just what it is. And so what happens, though, is it becomes this entitlement mentality. You didn't do this for me. It's not fair that he gets it. I've seen some of your kids melt down in the parking lot. I wanted that. It's not fair that he gets that. I mean, it's that deal. And there's that, that thing about us. I, me, and my. So what happens is his critical spirit begins, then the comparison comes in, and then it completely results in an entitlement mentality. And if you're dealing with uh, even if you're not dealing with the sibling rivalry, all this can, can, can apply to every single one of us. Because if we're not careful, we as a church, we begin to become critical from people that aren't, aren't in the church. And then we begin to compare ourselves and go, well, I'm not as bad as they are. And then we began to go to this entitlement mentality. Well, I, I deserve something. God should treat me better than treat somebody else. Really? That's not what the Bible says. And then we get mad when we see somebody else that's prospering that's outside 
the will of God or outside the church, and why are we not? And, and, and it happens, and it can happen inside the church when we can look at other people, that we drive into the same parking lot, we sit in the same room, we go to the same church, and all of a sudden, we begin to develop a critical spirit against somebody else that's in the room. And it begins with this, with this whole idea of judgment. And we begin to judge them based from our strengths on their weaknesses. And then we go from there to we begin to compare ourselves. Instead of comparing ourselves to Christ, which we would always fall short and there's always that stretching towards, we begin to compare ourselves to other Christ followers. And that comparison leads us to an entitlement mentality that I've been here longer than you have. This is how long I've been here. Or I've done this. Or I've done that. Or I deserve this. Or I deserve that. And all of a sudden there's this entitlement mentality. And, and so that, that comes out of that. So whether, whether you're dealing with siblings or whether you're just in the church, this is applicable to all of us. So how do you break that? How do you deal with that? I'm so glad you asked. Overcoming sibling rivalry. These next, the next two verses give us, the, 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 the rest of the story kind of gives us how to do this. The first thing is being in the presence of God. I know that sounds like the Sunday school answer, but if you go back to verse 31, verse A, my, fun, my son the father says... You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. The key is getting in the presence of God. Why is that the key? Because notice something. The younger son who's the sinner, who's the outsider, leaves. But he seems to have greater intimacy with the heart of the father. And the older son who stays who has great proximity to the Father, seems to be so far away from the heart of the Father. Why is that? Because proximity does not equal intimacy. Proximity never equals intimacy. You can be right next to God, and unless you have a relationship with God, you can miss Him. You can sit in church your entire life, and unless you open your heart and you surrender yourself and you say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, and I want a personal relationship with you, you miss him. You can have perfect attendance from now until the time that Jesus comes back or you go by the grave. But unless you know him, unless he knows you, what good is it? The key to all of this is it's a heart issue. It's surrender. It's it's what the younger brother did. It's coming to the father and going, I've sinned against you and against this family. And I don't even deserve to be in this family. And I don't even deserve to be your son. I, if, I, but if I could just work as a servant. And the older brother, what's his attitude? I shaved my legs for this? Did you read it? I've done all this for you. I've never been unfaithful. I've never left you. I've busted my rear end for you. I've served you. I've, 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 I've. It's all about I, me, and my. And this critical spirit, this comparison, this, this <coughs> excuse me, this entitlement has taken over his heart. And he doesn't have the heart of the Father. And I'm just going to tell you, the only way to break critical spirits in your life and the only way to break comparison issues in your life and the only way to break entitlement is to get in the presence of a holy God. It's what Isaiah chapter 6 says. And in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and the trend of his robe filled the temple. And I said unto myself, Woe unto me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell within a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the Lord God Almighty. And the angels and the seraphims flew in and he begins to describe them. 
And he said they began to come in and, and, holy, and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, for the entire earth is full of his glory. And off of the altar, they took a, a coal and they touched my lips because my lips were unclean. And, and I began to say, who will go for me? God began to say, who will go for me? And I, and I said in verse 6, he says, here am I, send me, O God. How does that happen? In the presence of God. It's in the presence of God. If you don't spend time, if I don't spend time in the presence of God, we miss this. We miss this opportunity. We miss this royally. The second thing is understanding God's provision. Understanding his provision. If you want to break rivalries, understand the provision. Verse 31, uh, B, it says, everything that I have is yours. You remember when you were a kid and your parents only got one candy bar for two kids? Which is stupid, right? I don't care what you got to do. If you got to steal it, get two candy bars. It's way easier. And get the same, right? And if you got one candy bar, what happened? One person got to break it and the other person got to pick which piece they wanted. Because if one person broke it and then get to give them the piece, it'd be like a 60-40 split. And that's not fair. That's mine. He took it and Johnny always gets it. Right? It's just what happens. And so, no, Johnny gets to break it and then Tommy, you get to pick, the, pick which piece that you want. And, 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 the, and the reality is, is because you looked at, that's just one candy bar. That's all there is. And this becomes a king of the mountain issue. And if we're not careful as adults, we look at life that way. And we look at life as like it's one pie, and i got to get my piece. Instead of looking at it like it's a Krispy Kreme donut line. I know, but come on. There's some things that are just heavenly about Krispy Kreme. I mean, it's a conveyor belt. You just see them go, you see the dough, you see the, that deep vat of, of fried goodness, hallelujah, and they go, and then they come through it. And then there's the, my favorite place on the assembly line there is the glaze hose. Wow. You could just like drink that. You know what I'm saying? And if you don't like it, just shut up. I love it. I'm just teasing. But I mean, isn't that awesome? Go, and, and they're just, do you want one? Do you want one? And actually, the person that fights over the first one actually gets the coldest one. Right? Because they're always coming off fresh. Especially when the hot, it's not worth stopping if the hot light's not on. If the hot light's on, get a gallon of milk and just start eating. That's, the, that's my rule. Chocolate milk, that is. And, and I, seriously, I just get a half gallon of milk, an entire dozen. It's gone. No lie. It's a gift I have, people. It's a gift. <laughs> And that's why I look at life. Oh, 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 there's plenty to go around. There's plenty. This isn't one candy bar that God has. There, there's a whole bunch. It's limitless. There's not one piece of pie or one donut. There's a conveyor belt. And it's how you view God. And if you view God, that if you got, you got gypped somewhere, somebody gypped you because at the end of the day, they got something that you didn't get. And God says, no, no, I own the cattle of a thousand hills. And I created you fearfully and wonderfully. I made you. I have a plan for your life and a future for your life to bless you and to prosper you. And God has the ability, because he's limitless, to provide for every single one of us on this planet. But you only are going to get that if you trust in him. Again, it's a heart issue. And the last thing is knowing his purpose. You got to know his purpose. Verse 32, he says, but we, he, he comes back in and the younger and the older brother says, we had to celebrate and be glad. Notice what the father says, because of the brother of yours was dead, is alive, is lost, is found. Here's the purpose, son. This is why this is going on. This is his purpose. And you have a purpose. And you can have anything that you want. And see, again, the key to this is perspective. 
Because if I am busy being critical of you and comparing myself to you and having an entitlement, which means I have to be better than somebody else to have an entitlement, than you, then what happens is I'm consumed with you and I'm not focused on what God's called me to do. But when I'm focused on what His purpose is for my life, I'm running my race. It's the race that He has for me. And I'm doing that. Now, this parable ends with the lost becoming found and the found becoming lost. That's the tragedy of it. The one that was on the outside comes on the inside. And the one that was on the inside lost the heart of the issue and got to the outside. And that's what I want to caution you with today. If you have a sibling and which you're in rivalry with, even as a grown adult, step back, re-listen to this message, look back at the notes, read back over this passage, and ask yourself, which brother are you? The younger or the older? Because you're one or the two. If you go, man, I'm not dealing with any sibling, sibling rivalries, but, but I've got kids, and they just fight, like, and it's really getting bad. It's gone beyond just, you know, competition of, of just two, two kids. It's really then you may want to sit down and help them in a way in which they can understand to evaluate and read the story and ask them which brother are they and understand that. Because that's your responsibility to teach and to train. And maybe none of that applies to you. Then here I would say, ask yourself in the kingdom of God, which brother am I? Because it's very easy to be in the Father's house and be away from his heart. And when the brothers and sisters come home to forget your role, for all of us, it's very easy. And no one's to judge this about this in your life but you. But that's the reason why he gave us his word. That's the reason why he gave us scripture. That's the reason why Jesus told this story, this parable. So today, I just encourage you to evaluate your own heart. To apply where needed. To make changes or adjustments or tweaks on your journey. And then to move ahead. Let's pray. Father, just thank you today for your word. I thank you, Lord, it's a light to our feet. God, and a lamp into our path. God, I thank you, Lord, that we hide your word in our heart. That we might not sin against you. And Lord, every one of us in this room have found ourselves being the older brother at some point in time. And we've all been the younger brother. And I pray, God, help us. Help us to evaluate our own lives, to check our own hearts, and surrender it to you. Because at the end of the day, it's a heart issue. Whether we're dealing with our physical brothers and sisters, whether we're dealing with our spiritual brothers and sisters, or God, whether we're dealing with a lost and a hurting world that's far away from you, Help us, help us, help us to have the heart of the Father in Jesus' name, amen.